Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Radio. You know, whether you're married or single, do you buy into the fairy tales of Cinderella or Snow White? You know, they lived happily ever after. Or do you believe that once a cheater, always a cheater is an accurate statement? These beliefs, one seemingly positive while the other is seemingly negative, have been ingrained in our culture through books, TV, movies, fairy tales. They are myths. Myths that can cause great suffering and struggle for couples. So stay tuned because we're going to be debunking the myths. 
This is your host, T. Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio. I am a reconnective healing practitioner, certified vibrational sound therapist, and positive psychology practitioner at Quantum Wellness Center, my private practice located in Sussex County, New Jersey, where Energy Awareness Radio streams to you live each and every week. Energy Awareness Radio is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. Audible.com has more than 180,000 audio books and spoken word audio products to choose from, so you can listen whenever and wherever you want. Just download the title you prefer free of charge and start listening when you sign up for a 30-day trial at audibletrial.com energyawareness. That's audibletrial.com energyawareness. My guest is Linda Bloom, a teacher at Esalen Institute in the Kropalu Center and served as adjunct faculty at institutes of higher learning, including UC Berkeley Extension and California Institute for Integral Studies. She and her husband, Charlie, are the co-authors of 101 Things I Wish I Knew When I Got Married, Secrets of Great Marriages, and their most recent book, Our Topic for Discussion, Happily Ever After, and 39 Other Myths About Love. So welcome to the show, Linda. Thank you for taking time to join us here at Energy Awareness Radio. How are you being? I'm being just wonderful. We're enjoying the the lovely weather here on the left coast, and I'm delighted to be on the show. Well, thank you. And we're having nice weather here, too, for a change. So, yay. (laughs) (laughs) I am going to start on a rather light note because this can be a heavy subject. And, you know, every little girl dreams of being Cinderella. And we're all sold on the idea from a very young age that we're going to find Prince Charming and live happily ever after. And there's even a song. You know, fairy tales do come true. It can happen to you if you're young at heart. So what do you think? Myth or does a fairy tale come true? Well, the fairy tale can come true, but there's going to have to be some dues paid in the meanwhile. Because it doesn't happen all by itself just because we find somebody that's wonderful and fall in love. There's going to be this fabulous infatuation stage, but everybody's got to leave the garden of eden at some point and that's when the relationship gets really interesting because you find out that you've got not got the perfect prince charming and you find out that you're not the perfect princess charming and then the mature love can start to happen that you can practice patience and tolerance and forgiveness and being allowing of their different style of being in the world and i think that's a much deeper love it's not like the puppy love in the beginning Absolutely, and I think everybody goes through that, and we cut people slack for that, you know, because when, when you fall in love, you're crazy. You're just crazy. You're so far above the horizon of your normal that everybody's like, oh, yeah, they're in love. You know, it's kind of like when somebody's grieving. It's like, oh, yeah, they're grieving, so they're so far below that horizon of normal for them. And people are just crazy when they fall in love, but they don't. Because of that, you can't see the other person. It isn't until you live with the person and you know them or you get to know them that you realize, uh-oh, <laughs> You're right. (laughs) It's nature's trick. You know, they're pouring, the blood is full of endorphins and and the brain is putting all of this hormones into our bloodstream. And it's nature's trick, you know, to get us to keep the species going. But after we come out of this drug haze, some people get months, even a year or more out of it. And when people are in that wild infatuation, you know, and they think they've got the the perfect person and oh, all those difficulties that happen with other couples, they'll never happen to us. We love each other so much. And it can be a real harsh crash when people have to leave that, that drug state, that what you refer to as the crazies. And... Mm-hmm. Um, it, some reality hits, and oh, oh, I see you more clearly now. I see you that you're a mixed bag like me, and we all have our strong suits and we all have our weak suits. And, you know, maybe we could put some of my strengths together with your strengths, and together we could roll up our sleeves and do some work here, and we could create something gorgeous out of this. And that's a great attitude to have, but most people don't have that attitude because they look at the other person and just think, what happened to you? Not thinking there's anything wrong with them. At least that's what I have found when I'm working with couples. It's, it's all it's his tempting. fault or all her fault. It's tempting. <laughs> Isn't it so obvious what they're doing wrong? Right. <laughs> it's so obvious. 
and to rise up to a higher level of maturity and responsibility and take a look at ourselves and how am I playing into this, that really requires some strength and some awareness and, you know, of course, uh, some some of us are slow to get with the program, but when we start to see that it may have something to do with my beliefs, it may have to do with uh, my extraordinary expectations that I was never going to ever be lonely again once I found love. That's one of the myths. Or you're going to redeem oh. me from all of my former difficulty and my, you know, my strong. Um, Difficult family of origin or with my adult relationships where people betrayed me or disappointed me or weren't there for me or broke the trust. And it's a tall order to be laying on a partner that they're going to redeem you from all your past suffering. It's impossible. We have to do that for ourselves. They can support us. They can encourage us. They can bear witness to it. You know, they can listen to us while we grieve some of the difficulties of our past. But basically, we need to really take responsibility for our own life and our own happiness and then we call it when we teach our classes and work with our couples in counseling appeal to our partner's enlightened self-interest that Uh there's a lot in it for them if we really work together as a team to find out what each other need to thrive and to be there for each other in a meaningful way. Not to make the other person's needs higher than our needs, but not to make them any lesser than our needs. And that's a very tricky balance point that takes some work to get that in a very nice level and consistent way. And it also, if you're working with the other person to to help them and they're working to help you, it is a team effort, and the team becomes the whole. So that's what you want. You want a solid front, the both of you. You're on the same team. It's not, you know, I want you having my back, and I want, and I will have yours. And a lot of times I know people will, there is that myth. Well, at least I'll never be alone. Okay, let's let's look at this, okay, because <laughs> you can be more alone in a crowd than on a mountaintop. Okay. It's you. It's not the person you're with. They're not going to get rid of the lonelies. They're just in your life and you have to be happy with you and you will never be lonely, but you can't just think that somebody's going to save you. That's, you know, this is my savior. I, uh, I'll never be lonely again. I'll never have to worry about that again. That's probably one of the biggest things that I've often heard. What about you? Is that one of the number one things that you hear is, okay, good. Now I'm never going to be alone. You know, I hear it a lot, and mm. uh, one of, it makes me sad because mm-hmm. um, it re- people really suffer because they think they got the wrong person. Mm-hmm. You know, and they may have a perfectly wonderful person who has enormous potential, but they're they're believing their own idea. Do you know? And it just sets them up for a lot of disappointment. There's some others that make me really sad, too. You know, we have a fair amount of singles in our network in addition to the couples that we work with. And mm-hmm. they there's it's mostly from the women, but I hear it from the men sometimes, too, that all the good men are taken. All the good women are taken, you know, and I'm a midlife person now and the good ones are already taken. And it's such a defensive posture, you know, and it makes me really sad because it can end up being a self-fulfilling prophecy. But Mm -hmm. they've experienced some disappointment. They've had some relationships that didn't work out. And bottom line is there's some fear about risking again. But instead of looking at themselves, and they tend to cluster with each other and find the other women who will commiserate with them and say, yeah, it's more trouble than it's worth, you know, those those men are just too much trouble. And so they will, a lot of them end up being alone because they won't even examine the belief that's in their way and that's keeping them from taking a chance. Do you know that you your tender heart may get hurt again? Probably will. Even if you find mm-hmm. a really good guy, it's probably going to get hurt again. And even if he marries you, and even if he's good for you, that there's probably going to be some disappointing moments because that's part of life. And there has to be for growth. 
you don't grow unless you, you know, unless you stunt. So you have to be stunted first to grow. So in order to grow and learn from things, how are you going to learn? We learn from our mistakes. Our greatest lessons are learned from our mistakes. So if you're in a relationship with someone and you're not cutting them any slack and it starts to turn sour, you know, you really have to examine that and realize, well, what's the growth here? What am I not seeing? Because maybe you're just being stubborn and not seeing, you know, what you need to see in the other person that's good, the gratitude part, which is a huge, huge thing for me. It's why I'll ask, why'd you marry this person? Because I love them. Why? What do you mean? Why? Why did you love them? Well, I guess we have a, yeah, but what did you love about them? You know, and go down yes, that road. Be specific. Yeah. Yes. When my husband says, uh, I love you. I say, give me the details. <laughs> <laughs> and I really encourage people to be specific. And we have an exercise that we do when we teach our class about, purposefully taking off the dark glasses so you're not looking through the eyes of judgment and criticism Mm -hmm. and putting on the rose-colored glasses. It doesn't mean that you're in denial about the flaws, and we all have our imperfections, but you make a conscious choice to look at your partner through the eyes of appreciation and gratitude. And you mentioned that you're, you know, very much aligned with the positive psychology movement. Mm -hmm. I love when they say that the quickest way to get a joy jolt is to count your blessings and go straight to the gratitude. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean, you know, that you're being irresponsible about not handling the difficulties. Of course we need to face the difficulties, but there usually is so much good going on in the relationship, but we may lose sight of it. Right, because the anger and the rage sometimes can get in the way. And I know people have said, oh, you know, positive psychology, you're just living a life through rose-colored glasses. No, I'm not. Gratitude, if you come from your heart, if you live from a point of gratitude, first of all, then you're practicing spirituality because it's a practice. It's not a thing. It's not a I go to a, a church or a temple once a week. It's what you live. It's a lifestyle. And when you come from your heart and you can see, all right, that person is really ticking me off. And I'm mad at them because. But then you remember, you know what, though? I've done stuff, too. And look Mm -hmm. at them. And you can Mm -hmm. feel that compassion. You start to, you know, fan those embers, and you're going to get the flame going again. And that's what's important. But everybody will say, well, why why do I have to do it? Why can't it be him? Well, you know what? Because you're the one that has the issue right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if you're the one with the issue and you haven't haven't communicated it, you need to talk, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But where do these... Where do these myths come from? I mean, I know, you know, we know fairy tales and stuff, but so many of the myths that, you know, everything, like you said, from happily ever after to, you know, some of them were like nothing good can come from conflict. That's so not true. (laughs) A lot of good stuff comes from conflict. (laughs) Well, people are going to have differences. In fact, I'm Mm -hmm. quite convinced that we're drawn to our compliments. We're not drawn to somebody who's just like us. I really do believe in that piece about opposites attract but when we Mm -hmm. teach our classes we talk about compliments attract there's some very deep wisdom in us very deep natural knowing it's almost like a sonar and it draws us to people who have strengths that we don't have and that's our desire to be whole that's our motivation do you know to be masterful in areas that are weak suit now so we're drawn unconsciously we make up stories about why we're attracted to that other person but there's some very deep part of us that knows that they have strengths that we're kind of weak in and that we can learn a lot from them and those very same things that magnetize us to our partner in the beginning they're so compelling they're the things that can end up driving us crazy when we get into the disillusionment stage but then if we can hang in there with the commitment and the intention and what do I have to learn here we can use those differences to really become a bigger person you know mm-hmm. and i think i think the differences when, especially when the conflict is really hot, do you know when the conflict is really overheated? If we can calm ourselves down and re-engage neocortex and think with our creative part of our brain, why is it that I'm so plugged in? Why am I so triggered? Why is this such an issue for me? What do I have to learn here? Man, there is solid gold down there if we can calm ourselves down enough to really dig and look. Yes, that's absolutely true. And I think 
sometimes people don't want to do that for fear of what they'll find. <laughs> well, that'll keep their level of their development and their self-actualization, you know, from from going to the higher realms because we have to take some risks if we're really going to do this work, do you know? And sometimes uh, you have to face some really scary things about yourself. And sometimes you have to eat some humble pie. And you were asking mm-hmm. about where do these come from? A lot of them come from the fairy tales. A lot of them get handed down, you know, from mother to daughter to granddaughter and from father to son to grandson. But some of them comes from the media. There was a movie years ago, um, and it really caught on like wildfire. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Oh, uh, yeah. And Love story. Love story. And Mm -hmm. do you know that causes so much heartache for people Mm -hmm. because they don't want to get vulnerable and to admit, you know, eat some humble pie and admit they caused harm, you know, that they were stressed or they were distracted and they broke their agreement and, and they have to say they're sorry. And if you buy into that myth and you say, well, she knows that I love her and I don't have to say it, Mm-mm. then uh, you miss an opportunity to have a healing. Do you know that mm-hmm. the trust went down maybe just a little bit, but if you have zero tolerance for the trust going down, you put that repair attempt in right away. You tune into your partner to see if they're ready. You tune into yourself to see if you can say it sincerely. And what's even more important, I think, than saying you're sorry is to demonstrate that you really learned something here. And you say, and, and what I learned is we shouldn't be talking about such an important subject late at night at 1130 when I've worked so hard all day. I'm not bringing my best to you to discuss this important topic. We really need to get a good night's rest and talk about this tomorrow. Do you know mm-hmm. that would just be an example that could reassure the person and the trust could be restored to the pre-breach level and then some? Yes. And because, again, because you've grown from that and you understood, both of you have, hopefully, that you grow from learning what the other person, if you have a constructive conversation and not an argument, as you said, late at night where it's not going to do anybody either good except cause resentment, nobody will sleep well, and then it could just going to fester in the morning and become worse. That's a difficult thing as well. Yeah. Exactly. I'm all about post-traumatic growth. Do you know you hear a lot (laughs) about post-traumatic stress, but you don't hear nearly nearly as much about post-traumatic growth. And every breakdown, the small ones, the medium-sized ones, and the big ones are big opportunities. Big opportunities for learning if we take them on. Yeah, it's like building a muscle. You know, you go to the gym and you work the muscle and the muscles tear and then they heal and they get stronger. It's the same thing. It's just the perspective, how to look at it, see what it is that you're doing. Now, one of the myths in your book was relationships shouldn't have to be this hard. And this this is funny because people will say to me, it's so hard, it's so hard. And I'll say, okay, is it hard or is it an effort? There's a difference. Is it effort or is it struggle? There's a huge difference because every relationship is an effort. 24-7, 365, you make an effort for the other person. The other person makes an effort for you. You just do the things that you like to do for them. It's an effort to remember their birthday. It's an effort to remember what they like or what their favorite meal is. That's an effort, but it's an easy effort. When things become a struggle, that's totally different. Something else is going on. When those normal things that were an effort, but they were effortless because you love the person, become a struggle, and now you're resenting it, there's something else going on. Do you agree with that? Oh, I totally agree. And I, I really have a lot of respect for John Gottman's research about the five to one, that the relationship mm-hmm. really need to have five parts that really work to everyone that's difficult. And mm-hmm. we want the positivity to really outshine, you know, the negativity. But even really the happiest married couples, they have some irreconcilable differences and things that ever they're not ever going to resolve. And mm-hmm. um, you have to make space for that and then put the emphasis on the parts that really work in the relationship and utilize that. But um, I'm very... Um, 
keen on the whole idea of grit. Do you know that this composition of characteristics of courage and resilience and determination and commitment and intentionality that all make up being a gritty individual I've, I've seen it written about quite a lot about people who are musicians and performing artists, you know, dancers and and people in the business sector and particularly about athletes, that there's a lot written about the 10,000 hours over 10 years of lots of practice and lots of repetition to get to the highest levels in the field. But mm-hmm. I think that the very same practices apply to having an exemplary romantic partnership that you have to put in several years of Mm -hmm. determined intentional practice to get to be a really good communicator to be really masterful in conflict management to be um, exemplary in terms of developing your potential, your your wonderful qualities, and shoring up your your weak suits. And this deliberate practice is the work of relationship, but is a labor of love. And some of it is interpersonal with our partner, but a lot of it is just work on ourselves to evolve the potential that is there to be the best that we can be, to be the the happiest, the most successful, living out of our values, living out of our integrity, and then bring our happy self to our partner. And if they've been doing their work, we're bringing two happy people to this relationship, and it's likely that it's going to be an exemplary relationship. Sure, because you have to grow each on your own and do your own thing and then come together as equal partners, having that knowledge and knowing that we need to leave the other stuff out and just come together and work on ourselves. But you have to be individuals as well. You, you can't. That's right. Like you, yeah, you have, to, you have to be happy with what it is that you're doing. They have to be happy with what it is that they're doing. And one of the things that I have in my own marriages, you can't bring the ick in from the outside. It's like taking off your shoes before you come in the house. You know, just leave it outside <laughs> because when you come home, it's all about home. When you go to work, it's all about work. But you don't bring your work home and you don't go bring your home work. You know, it, it just... That seems to work for us because you don't have these stupid arguments because the day was really bad. This should be your safe haven. Your home should be your safe haven where you can go and relax and nobody's out to get you. And I kind of always have gone along that line where, you know, I never thought anything was perfect. I never bought into the fairy tale because, you know, I mean, I saw too much going on around me and knew that, you know, fairy tales don't necessarily come true. You know, Cinderella (laughs) doesn't live in my neighborhood. (laughs) (laughs) So you, you kind of have to take it from the perspective that's going to work for both of you, as long as both of you are well aware of what the rules are, or if we can call them that, and just do your own things outside of each other. Because one of the other things, oh, how did you word it? It was about working together. Um, I was going to remember Teamwork. this. Teamwork, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, you have and to there, do that. When we, when we teach our classes, we call it the dance of love and freedom. Do you know that we come together and we're close and we have emotional and sexual intimacy and sharing and then we let go and we go and we do whatever it is that we do. We go to our women's group, we go to our men's group, we go to work, we build our career, we raise our kids, we do our hobbies, our political activities, whatever they are, and then we let that go and we come back into the couplehood and to make it a priority in our life. One of the myths in the book is we don't have enough time to take good care of our relationship, and that's just a total lie. Because people have time, even when they're raising kids and even when they've got demanding, you know, challenging careers, they have time. It's how we prioritize our time. And if we want to, you know, let go of our tech devices and let go of all the competing urgencies and really draw really clear boundaries around those, we can carve out a stone to make some time to nourish and feed the living entity that is the romantic partnership. Yeah, absolutely. You have to make the time. It's That's true. You, you know, it's funny because a lot of people will make time for work things because it's bringing in money. But then when they go home, they don't nurture that. That's why you and have you to know, the ick. 
You know from the positive psychology movement research that people make more money, they're not happier. When people have right. deeper, more meaningful relationships and more confidants in their life, people that they know they can really count on, that's where they get their biggest bang for their buck. It's not from the money. And a lot of people say, I know money doesn't buy happiness. But when you look at their life, you know, they're given their best work and the relationships given leftover scraps at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. That's Yeah, that's absolutely true. We are speaking with Linda Bloom, author of Happily Ever After and 39 Other Myths About Love. And to learn more, please write this down. Go to their website, Bloomwork, B-L-O-O-M-W-O-R-K.com. It, there's a plethora of information there, the, the private practice, the workshops that they do, the books that they've written. There's so much there to see and just, you know, kind of go through it, scour through the, the, the website and see what it is that might help you with anything that's going on. And even if nothing's going on, use it as a preventive so that you know ahead of time and you can figure things out and be proactive instead of reactive because you don't want to be reactive. That's just not going to, doesn't work well for anyone. So, so mm. it's a really good website, bloomwork.com. Check that out. Uh, you know, I think that one of the things that people oftentimes will say that is over time marriages get stale and boring and that's just the way it is, right? And I look at them and say, no, wrong. (laughs) Well, it's one of those things that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If people expect that that's what's going to happen, my husband and I are getting really close to having 50 years together. And he still lights up the room when he walks in. For me, I'm lit up. And, you know, we've been together for a long time, and it is not stale and boring because both of us are committed to being on our growing edge. We're always learning new things and trying new things. And so we haven't allowed ourselves as individuals to get stale and boring, so we have plenty to bring to each other to keep the spark alive. But if people have that expectation, they are going to put their relationship on cruise control, and then guess what? You know, they they won't have put the kind of effort in to be real with each other, to to um, live out of a growth model, and it will be kind of ho-hum, and the best will be behind them, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. Sure, it, comes, it becomes complacent because, well, they become complacent because they think, well, this is what is supposed to happen, so I'm going to go with that flow and let everything, it just takes a dive bomb from there. It's just completely yes. off track. And, you know, if you're especially, especially men, and please don't email me about this, people. I oftentimes get email <laughs> when I speak out of turn. <laughs> but men particularly will go to work and live their work at home, at work, at the baseball field with the kids, everywhere they're going, it's all about work. They're on their stupid phones all the time. And people will say to me, you don't understand how difficult it is. We have to have these phones. Because I don't have a a, a cell phone that is a magic phone. I just have a cell phone that only rings. I don't know how to text. I won't text. There's no need for it. If I'm with a client or a patient, guess what? I'm not with you. I'm with them. And I don't need to take a call. So and my husband, even though he works in technology, he does, too, not have a magic phone. He just has a regular phone that he forgets half the time. He says, if they need me, they'll reach me at my desk. Now, this is something that we do. Technology is great when it's not overutilized for things that are taking you away from that, which is more important. And people tend to just depend on this technology and use it for everything. And it, it really is causing, I think, for social media, it's causing a lot of desocialization. I'm having some reservations, and of course there's a lot of good news about all the tech devices and how they make our life a lot easier and richer. But there are people who are over-utilizing mm-hmm. their tech devices, that the first thing they're doing in the morning before they even go to the job is they're checking their email. They're on their email, and they're you know texting after work hours, on the weekends, on vacation. Mm-hmm checking, you know, at the beach, and they're still having communication, and they're not drawing crisp boundaries. But this is the one that I was the most horrified about. I read a piece of research about how many people in the 18 to 34 age group had admitted to sending or receiving a text during sex. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? During sex, oh, and see, it was twenty-five percent of the people who answered that question said yes, they had done it at least one time. 
And oh then they, they asked for the older group, and they were still 10% of them. So it's looking like there's not really much that's left sacred anymore if people are interrupting their lovemaking to go and answer a text message. Yes, and thank you for using that word sacred because there are, there are moments in life that should be sacred, and you need to have sacred space. Ours is our home. Don't bring any ick in. It started out with the, the bedroom. The bedroom is sacred space. It's for sex. Mm-hmm. It's for sleeping. It's not for watching TV. That's what it's for, sex and sleeping. No fighting. You step over the line in the bedroom and you want to fight with me. No, no. No, no, no. <laughs> Tomorrow morning you can fight with me over that threshold, but not in this room. And even, and I remember times getting into bed and trying to snuggle and be like, what are you doing? I just want to snuggle with you. Oh, well, I thought you were mad at me. Well, I am, but this is where we commune. Out there, I'm going to be mad at you again. But here, I, you have to know that I love you. I think that's mm-hmm. really important. You're using, a ta- you're using a phone and you're texting people. What is wrong with people? Oh, my God. That and just blows me were, away, Linda. You were talking about the women who seem to have more of a keen awareness about mm-hmm. how important it is to draw some boundaries around mm-hmm. the romantic partnership and take care of it, go on date night, you know, have a piece yeah. of the day where you check in with each other and not let – work take too big a bite and you know there's a lot of women nowadays who are just knocking them dead in the career world and they can be just as just as abusive about the relationship as the men so i know that generally speaking the women grow up in a different culture so they're not so identified with career but that's changing now and so Mm -hmm. both people have to take responsibility but whoever notices that first that the relationship needs a little extra juice has to be proactive about you know when are we going to draw some boundaries so that we can have some romantic time some date night some time just to be together where the rest of the world has to stop we don't pick up the phone we don't answer it we don't put on any tech device and we 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 really carve out time that's just for us because, you know, my husband and I did this anecdotal research where we found the happiest couples that we could find all over the country. And we interviewed them and let them tell us in their own words, their secrets of success. And there were themes that went through all of their stories. They were very, very different because they're a creative bunch, but (laughs) this is something we heard over and over. We make our relationship a very high priority, and we yes. give it time and attention. You have to. You should write a book about that because if you've done all the research, there's a book there. <laughs> I just yes, know it. Yes, we did. That's <laughs> Secrets of Great Marriages. That was our ah, book okay. number two. That, yeah, that was the second book. You know, and it's funny you should say that because we see, uh, you know, you go to a restaurant and you see people texting or on their phone all the time. It isn't just the, you know, you talked about, women in the corporate world and they're getting just as bad as the men or whatever, but they're showing it to their children. You will see families of four, six sitting down. It's very quiet in restaurants now because no one's talking. Everyone's on their phone texting each other or other people. And now Mm -hmm. the children are learning, this is okay. We don't have to talk to each other. This is how we do relationships. We just sit in a room and everybody does their own thing. As long as we're sitting with each other, it's okay. That is not what humans need. That is not good for human nature. Our human, our nature is to speak with people, to engage. And I don't mean through technology, but to truly engage with other people and to feel when people say they're lonely. One of my first questions is how much time do you spend on the use of any of those, you know, gadgets that you have? How much time do Mm -hmm. you really spend? There was one woman who Mm -hmm. told me she, because I said this to her, she tracked it at work, at work. She spends two and a half hours a day at work doing Facebook, social media, checking her email, and texting people. And I said, okay, so that's 12 and a half hours a week. That's a day and a half that they're paying you Mm -hmm. to not do work. And now you're complaining because you don't have enough time to get your job done. I'm going to say to you, you're wrong. I would fire you. I would fire somebody on the spot if Uh I told them ahead of time. would. You can't text here. You can't go on Facebook. If I saw somebody doing it, I'd say "That's, that's one next time you're out the door. And they would be out the door. I'm not paying you for that. And I think that's horrible because people are just taking advantage of so much stuff and not even realizing how addicted they are, and now they're teaching their children that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some parents are getting very careful about allowing their children to only have so much screen time. And they ration it, and, you know, they say, you know, you've got five more minutes left, and then you have to wrap up. 
but they're not rationing their screen time and limiting their screen time themselves. They're right. overdoing it. There was one myth that I wanted to talk about that was personally uh, tripping me up and tripping up my relationship with my husband for years until I got a grip on it. And, you know, you don't you don't have to give up any of these beliefs, just the ones that work for you, keep them, and the ones that are tripping you up, let them go or modify, because there's a kernel of truth in all of them. But yes. you were asking earlier about where do these myths come from, and some of them just come from the culture in general. And because mm-hmm. we live in a culture that worships independence, do you know that yeah. um, dependence is like it's a dirty word? And so the the people who are more on the independent side of the spectrum, and they often pair up with somebody who's more on the dependent part of the spectrum, there can be an uh, collusion between them, that the independent one is right. Do you know, and because my husband was a more self-contained system, and he was actually uh, denying his needs for dependency, I was carrying the, the dependency needs for two people. And we both had the belief that I was insecure and because I wanted to relate a lot and talk a lot and touch a lot and look in each other's eyes and have all this romantic stuff, that there was something wrong with that. And we really both bought into this thing, the myth of independence. We got some good help from some people that we really held in high esteem who taught us both that every loving relationship has an aspect to it where we're dependent on the other person. And sure. there's nothing wrong with that. That's healthy. That's sensible. That's practically useful. And when I was able to see that I'm a relationship-oriented person, that I thrive when I really relate to people. I like to see their facial expressions and their body language, and I want to touch them and I want to hug them. Do you know that that texting and email is a little little removed from me? I like the, the juice oh, yeah. of being with them, <laughs> at least talking on the phone. Do you know? And mm-hmm. when I got more okay on my own desire for connection, I was able to ask for it from a place of personal power, not from, you know, a needy place. And my husband was able to meet me there, and our relationship took a jump up. And he, lo and behold, started to be more okay on his needs for connection and dependency. And it was a big breakthrough for us. So this is one of my favorites in the whole collection. Oh, you I was going to ask about, you. We have both well. needs to be independent and dependent, and they're both great. Yes, and it works well when it's with another person who also understands that, because then you can work together again and be the team. You know? Yes. Uh, I refer to it as the Ronald Reagan theory. You bring people in who know more about something that you don't know enough about so that you can get the job done. You know, and, and right it on. works out really well. Yeah. You know, one of the ones that I liked was marriage is a 50-50 proposition. And I think this comes from traditional marriages back in the day when the man went to work and took care of the lawn, the woman stayed home and took care of the kids in the house. And that was considered 50-50. But that, mm-hmm. I never bought into that either because it's not 50-50 because there are going to be times in a marriage when somebody falls ill or something. I'll just use that as an example because it happened in my marriage. And the other person has to step up and be there. So I need to step up and be there when he has a problem, and he needs to step up and be there when I have a problem. And that's not 50-50 anymore. That can be 80-20 or 99-1. But it's part of the marriage. It's part of the fact that you're a team. So it's not always 50-50 across the board. It's it's whoever needs most, the other one has the strength for it, and vice versa. Absolutely. And, you know, people get into trouble when they think out of this 50-50 myth that they conduct their relationship like business, do you know, with yeah. accounting. And I did this, and so you have to do that. And I'm only going to give you two if you give me two. And if you don't yeah, give pretty- me three, I'm not giving you three. And then, you know, it, it, it gets 
petty and small and there's a lack of generosity of spirit there and if you really get it that the great relationships they're 100 percent 100 percent they're just given what they can when they can and giving it freely and then don't have an accounting system about you owe me and i'm not gonna you know i'm gonna resent you if you don't give me what you what i think you should be giving me and people just get all balled up and, you know, mm-hmm. I was distrustful when I first got into my relationship with my husband, and I was I was checking to see whether he was going to take advantage or exploit me or, you know, I was <laughs> going to do more of the dishes and more of the cooking and the housework, and he was going to try to, you know, jockey me into being a little traditional woman because I was this staunch feminist, you know, we're going to raise these kids together and we're going to mm-hmm. share the household tasks. And I was watching like a hawk, and it it was so freeing. When I got to the level of trust of, I'm not going to let myself be taken advantage of. And I'm just going to come from, we're, we're both going to really give everything we have to make this thing work. It's sad because there's really no uh, you know, school to go to where anybody teaches you how to be a husband and how to be a wife. So everybody goes into it without directions. And you're not given directions. You're just like, hey, you know, now I present Mr. and Mrs. whoever. And there you go. And everybody goes off happy, goes to the reception, goes to the honeymoon, comes home, and uh-oh. And, you know, and that's when the king of the hill battle starts. You know, who's going to be king of the hill? Who's going to be the one, the head of the household? There really ought not to be. It needs to be a team thing. Even if there's no kids involved, you need to be on the same page. Otherwise, what what are your goals? You know, what, what are you striving toward? If you're constantly fighting each other and building up resistance, you're not getting anywhere. You're stagnant and you're not moving the life that you have together along or the relationship further. And you're certainly not fostering the love part. That just isn't happening. So I think when people start to look at some of these myths, and I know you said, you know, take the ones that that apply to you. If you read the book and you read all of them, there's going to be little pieces in every single one that applies, I think, to everyone. And you can say, oh, yeah, I've done that. Or, you know, and you can laugh about it because you knew you either corrected it or you need to correct it and you're willing to. But I also think the book, and I know it's happily ever after, this applies to any relationship. You know, we get in relationships with people. Yeah at work, friends, you know, you need to treat, if you love people, it doesn't have to be intimate love. If you love people, you don't, you don't treat them. You don't throw a grenade in the, in the relationship just because you're, you're tired or somebody pissed you off, you know, and okay. So maybe they did something. Why don't you speak up and say what they did? What? And when someone else is asking the question, I've had this happen to me. I've asked the question. I don't know what it is that you're asking me. What do you want? What did I do? Please tell me what you don't understand only to get nothing back in return. And then I'm done. I'm like, okay, I'm done. I I don't need to deal with this anymore because this person obviously doesn't want to work at the relationship, so I just let it go. But, you know, this book, a lot of these things will apply to relationships that are not marriage or intimate relationships, and and you agree with that, yes? Sure. They they apply to relationships with our family members, with our kids, with our parents, with our siblings – on the job, people we relate to on the job, with our neighbors, do you know, with our community, people in our religious communities. This is about being skilled in relationship. This is about being mature and responsible and thoughtful and not just buying into some script that got put in your hands, maybe by your family, you know, maybe you know, by your gender conditioning, but looking more deeply to see, is this really true for me? Is this really working in my behalf? Is my well-being increased in the different relationships that I'm in by having this as a guideline, or is this tripping me up? One of the ones um, that that uh, I run into a lot with people is, you know, I missed my chance to say something about this. It's too oh, late yeah, to bring, bring it up it, yeah. now. Mm-hmm. And I always say, I don't care if it was 10 years ago. I don't care if it was 20 years ago. If it's still alive for you and it still is worrying you or upsetting you in some way, there is no statute of limitations. Give yourself permission if this is still gnawing at you 
to find a way to bring it up without blame and judgment. Talk about yourself. Talk about this is hurting me or this is worrying me or this is frightening me. And I really want to speak about it with you because even though it was weeks ago or months ago or even years ago, I really would like to get complete with this because I don't want to have anything clogging up the channel between us. And I'm bringing it up with the intention of having a healing, of having us learn from this, of having an understanding. And I'm not doing this to make you bad and wrong or to shame you or blame you or criticize. I'm doing this because I want our relationship to be better. And while I agree with you on that, I think that's the caveat, that you have to be able to say, I'm bringing it up because it's bothering me. But once you bring it up because it's bothering you and you've both had a discussion and you've both agreed that now we can put this behind us, I don't think five years from now, ten years from now, or two months from now, you need to bring it up and say, I want to go through that all over again. If you say, okay, I get it, we understand, I don't think you need to beat a dead horse and continually crucify the person for whatever it is, because I've seen people do that, and I'm like, didn't we put this to bed? I thought we put this to if bed. Yeah, you said you if did. It's a thorough investigation, and the people learned what needed to be learned, and they felt heard and understood. It's going to mm-hmm. just slough off like a dried-up old snakeskin that you outgrew. Do you know? It won't have yes. to come up anymore. But people are so pain-tolerant that they will carry around grudges and resentments and withhold things and not really clean up and get complete. And then they wonder, how come they don't have a great relationship? Well, there's mm-hmm. stuff that's clogging up the channel for the love can't really flow. But the communication has to be there because sometimes the people, one partner thinks it was resolved because they got the fact that we talked about this and you said it was okay. And the other partner is like, well, I said that because I was just tired of talking about it. But if it's really bothering you that much, you need to keep talking about it until you throw it. In order to, you know, get over something, you have to go through it. So you need to go through it with that partner. And then, yeah, because if you do bring it up two or three years later or a week later, you obviously didn't get everything out. Mm Mm-hmm. So there is some work involved, and one of the myths is some people have all the luck. Mm. And I think there is a little component of luck about, you know, finding somebody that would be a good long-term partnership with us, but that's only one small part of it. The other is, you know, growing the skills, growing the qualities, having a growth orientation, being willing to look more deeply. You know, in the positive psychology movement, they talk about where your happiness comes from, that about 50% of it's genetic and about mm-hmm. 10% of it is from the circumstances of your life. And 40% is our beliefs and attitudes yep. that drive our behaviors. But people and you can change are. It. Yes, people are not mm-hmm. aware of how much leeway there is there, that if we're willing to practice, if we're willing to learn, if we're willing to, you know, really explore. And so much of this is, you know, being mindful about the beliefs that are running me that I haven't really stopped to examine. So there's so many really good relationship books out, but I don't feel like the beliefs and the attitudes, and particularly the false beliefs, have been addressed enough in the relationship literature. I agree, They're great but I think about that conflict you're... management and you know skills about that. And um, there's a, a lot of really good material about relationships, but not enough about looking at our beliefs. Right, and I think this is a really your book, Happily Ever After, and 39 other myths about love is. I'll say it's even somewhat entertaining because you can laugh at some of these things. You can like (laughs) smile and laugh and say, oh, yeah, okay, I've been down that road, (laughs) you know, and Uh, you realize you learn from it. But if you're new, if you're newly married or getting married or even if you're single, this is a great book to read because it gives you so much information that you can put into practice now. Even if you're not dating anyone, you can put these things into practice in other relationships and start fostering better relationships all the way around, and then you will have a good relationship when the time comes and you want to settle down and be with one person for the rest of your life, which is a possibility because it, it, it is 
it is making that effort. It's not taking a pill and letting it do its work and saying, okay, you know, it's kind of like going to the gym. You know, people will say, oh, oh, you look really good. And it's like, well, you know, I go to the gym three days a week. I, you know, I work out, I do yoga, I do whatever it is I do. Whatever people do, they say they do. And you can't get upset about that when you're making the effort. If you put the effort into your work and you know how That's to do right. that, then you can put the effort into your marriage or into your relationships if they're that important to you because it will come across that they're not if you're not making that effort, not struggle, but effort. And and I think that this that's a, really important. Yeah, this is a guide for emotional fitness workouts. Yes, it is. That's exactly and what I a get great the way to biggest, I get the biggest kick from hearing about the couples who are reading it together, do you know, and they're discussing them. And maybe they're, you know, in different camps about some of them. And I think that's great because it's it's really catalyzing some good discussions. And yeah. um, I, I think couples need more of that about what does commitment mean to you and what does emotional intimacy mean to you and how do you define forgiveness and not to just take these things for granted that we're both on the same page about it, but to really look at, at it more deeply we knocked ourselves out to make this reader friendly. We know that people, we are, we're, we know people are busy with their careers and raising kids and they've got all these, you know, commitments and we wanted to distill it down to essence and give them some practical wisdom with short little pieces. So I think they're really pithy and they pack a wallop and I really hope it gets into a lot of people's hands. Yes, and actually, it's a very quick read, too. So it's not like, and it's not academic. That's boring. This is not boring. This is not academic. This is something that truly you will enjoy, and you get so much out of it. So even if you're not an avid reader, this is something that will help. You'll enjoy it. It's a quick read. It's only like 175 pages long. It's not even a long book. So, again, Happily Ever After and 39 Other Myths About Love. The website is bloomwork.com. I can't believe we're at the top of the hour, Linda, but before we go, is there anything else you (laughs) want to tell the listeners about yourself or the book? I just want to make sure, because you're on the East Coast, that people know that Charlie and I come to Kripalu in the Berkshires of Massachusetts every January. And we teach secrets of great relationships, and we cover some of the material that's in this book and our previous two books. And so the people who are in New England, they can maybe join us there. The West Coast people usually come and see us in California and Big Sur. But... There's a whole lot of free stuff on our website, so people mm-hmm. can read blogs that we've written. We've got a couple hundred blogs out in the blogosphere, so that if they go to our website, they can get connected to the five places where we blog. And if they want to call us for counseling, we do counseling on the phone with people all over the country because a lot of people who do counseling with us come from our books. We never even get to meet them, but it's all in the commitment. (laughs) We Skype with some people, and we have a very unusual service that we offer that most therapists don't. Um, We have people come here to California, to Santa Cruz, where we live, and spend a day or two days with us. And we can go so deep deep into the issues so that you get a few to several months that would take in the one hour a week, you know, model. Yeah. And we can really get down to the core of the issues. That is great. That is wonderful. Oh, Linda, thank you so much for taking time to join us here at Energy Awareness Radio. This was a great show and the listener response is already picking up. Um, I'm sure that I'm sure you will sell a lot more books. <laughs> it's, it's a great book. Thank you so much. Listeners, we need you to spread the word. We know you enjoy what you hear on Energy Awareness Radio, so share it with your friends. This was a great show. There's a lot that you can get out of it for yourself, for your relationships in all areas of life, for your marriages, partnerships, whatever. So do that. Uh, on behalf of everyone here at Energy Awareness Radio, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. My name is T. Love, and I hope you'll be back next week for another great show. More information about me, please visit my website, quantumwellness.org. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at NRG Aware Radio. That's at NRG Aware Radio. I am your host, T. Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio, intending you and yours a most wonderful week. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well. I got a roof over my 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.